0: Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zoner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I'm sitting here with my pastor, Eric Zellner. How are you doing today, my man? I'm great, Will. How are you? Fantastic. Uh, It's getting colder. We're in Christmas season now. I'm excited for all the Christmas carols and um, gingerbread and such. That's
1: right. It's coming.
0: Also, uh, another part of your, uh, everyone's so excited about this Christmas season is our five-part series on uh, the doctrines of grace. Last week, we talked about total depravity, um, which is typically used as the first acronym or the first letter in the acronym TULIP, or commonly called Calvinism. Mm-hmm. So we've hit on T, and now we're going to hit on U, unconditional election. So I'll pass it back to you to maybe explain how these two work together and how it's important to kind of understand it, the whole framework
1: of things. Yeah, absolutely. We, You know, I think we, I can't remember if we mentioned this last time, but of course, John Calvin wouldn't have known the acronym tulip. Um, we, you know, we use that, and it's helpful for us to talk through uh, these central doctrines of the of what it means when we talk about doctrines of grace. Uh, if you if you begin with total depravity, and, and we believe the Scripture teaches that, uh, then if we stop there, we're we're sort of stuck in a dead spot, and that is that man could never come to God. And so, if man is spiritually dead. We have to move forward, and Scripture has to take us to something that is Godward. And so the only way for sinners to be saved is that God would have to be the one who chooses to bring them to spiritual life. And so it naturally flows from total depravity that there there does exist, and Scripture teaches it this way, there does exist a doctrine whereby God unconditionally does an act of electing some sinners to salvation. Um, once the biblical view of human sinfulness is embraced, it really becomes immediately clear that we're without hope unless God is a God who elects, um, because otherwise nobody has any hope. So that's where we'll begin, and that's the reason we need to, we move to that next one.
0: That's a great point. You know, it's not as if the the reason why we can't choose God... Is because of our moral inability, and so if we can't choose God, then it's God who has to choose us.
1: Yeah, and and so all of these doctrines always magnify the the character of God by way of His grace, um, that He would be willing to undertake to do for sinners what they cannot do for themselves. So we already begin. Uh, which when we circle back at the end, we talk about some common objections. We'll, we'll deal with this. But we already begin with the fact that this is a God who is willing in grace and love to reach out to some sinners who do not deserve his salvation. But he's willing to extend this kind of love to them. It's uh, it's profound. He raises the spiritually dead is what he does.
0: It's fantastic. So predestination is a common biblical term. Every Christian church has a view of predestination. So what makes conditional election different from unconditional election?
1: Yeah. You know, we talk about predestination and election um, as the two words that are used in relationship to God's uh, choosing, His act of choosing um, men and women for salvation. And those who are predestined uh, to eternal life are called the elect, which is what, what the Scripture teaches. Now the difference between conditional election and unconditional election is this. Unconditional election says that there is absolutely nothing that that sinner does. Uh, in other words, their salvation isn't conditional on some quality of character that they had or some um, some act that they did, uh, some choosing or some stirring up of faith within them. It's unconditional because they didn't bring anything to the table. Um, and that's where we have a, a, a pretty significant difference with those who are arminian um and and what i mean by that is uh when i was uh, an arminian which i just simply believed that i had come to faith because i had made the decision to choose jesus um and we've you know so many of us who grew up baptist might have sung i have decided to follow jesus no turning back no turning back and and while there is a sense in which uh there is a choice which takes place um that particular song emphasizes pretty heavily that I'm the one who did the deciding, uh, and it's really so much more than that that took place. The Bible teaches us that if if I do the deciding, it's because God uh, resurrected my dead heart to life. Right. So, uh, so therefore, conditional election would be that I brought something to the table. Right. Uh, those are the differences between the two.
0: And so, can you point us to a couple uh, passages in the Scripture in which we can see this idea of God choosing people based on no
1: condition being met? Yeah, you know, um, in John chapter six, uh, Jesus talks to his disciples about being the bread of life. He's actually speaking to a larger crowd, but he 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 actually gives to them this very doctrine. A couple of places, uh, verse forty-four of John six. Uh, Jesus says uh, that he's answering them um, because they're saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Uh, We know his father and mother. How can he say he's come down from heaven? Um, And then Jesus answers them while they grumble, and he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. He's telling us that, that the reason you haven't uh, believed upon me is because no one can believe upon me unless the father himself does the drawing and then later in that same chapter John 6 verse 65 we also read uh, Jesus said this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the father he gives the uh, uh, you know he gives another response to more grumbling uh, and they're saying we don't understand why you think you are g- why you think you are the Son of God uh we're offended by this, and he said, "Well, this is why I said earlier in our conversation, nobody can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Another classic uh place where this is taught is in Ephesians chapter one the apostle Paul opens ephesians one if you you know for those who haven't read ephesians uh one and two in a long time, it really explains so much of the very doctrines that we're talking about. But uh, Ephesians 1, 4 begins with this, even as God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Now there I'm, I'm inserting the pronouns that Paul is talking about based on the earlier verses he just mentioned. Even as God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so the the general point, I mean, Paul's beginning his letter by talking about these spiritual blessings, which are ours in Christ. And it is our tendency, apart from the Scriptures, to presume that that God is an angry God, far and distant, uh, and so therefore we must choose to be good, obedient people, and thereby we get salvation. Uh, And Paul breaks into that that very uh, wrong presupposition, and he says God chose us in Jesus long before the foundation of the world, and he did it so that we might become or be transformed into holy, blameless people. Where did this concept come from? It was from his heart of love that he predestined us. And he didn't just um, stand at the beginning of time and go, "Mm, I guess I'll choose Will and Eric. I don't think I'll choose that Adolf Hitler fella. Um, This is a doctrine which tells us that there is a profound love which is placed upon many sinners who don't deserve it. And he did it so that they might be adopted as his sons and daughters so consistent with what we're studying in the book of Exodus, where God calls the nation of Israel his firstborn son, and out of Israel, out of Egypt he calls them, um, and we recognize, too, you know, in Galatians chapter 3 that all those promises are fulfilled in Christ, that all those promises were made to Jesus. It's no surprise, then, that Paul's favorite uh, little preposition is, "...in him." In Jesus, all of this love is granted. Then the other the other verse I would mention comes from Acts chapter 13. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are are preaching, and Paul is um Paul actually makes a beautiful comment in chapter 13. Um there at Antioch. My eyes aren't really as good as I think they are, so that's why I struggle. It says uh, in this particular passage, Acts 13, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and, and in response to the sermon. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Right? The gospel was preached to a huge crowd, but Luke, who writes the book of Acts, tells us that not everybody believed, but as many as were appointed to eternal life. Those specific people Believed, mm-hmm. um, so these particular passages tell us um, a gr- a great, rich beauty about the con about the concept of unconditional election.
0: That's great. So, sitting here, I, I can think about two main objections that I hear most commonly from people. Mm-hmm. One is the view of foreknowledge that mm-hmm. God looks in the future, kind of hits play on the TiVo and said, and sees that Eric is a really good guy he's obedient so he looks in the future he sees that you're obedient to Christ and that's why he chose you yeah. what would you say to this foreknowledge view because that would obviously imply there is a condition being met
1: yeah and in that i mean that's you know to, for those who would say that it's a, it's a completely uh, what they're making is a an absolute counter comment it's a conditional election in other words their salvation was based on condition and uh, Romans eight and Romans nine really speak to that, um, and and it says that foreknowledge precedes predestination, but the the presumption that people are making oftentimes with this is that foreknowledge is the reason for which God predestined. But and so the the way that it is classically spoken of in Arminianism is that God stood. Um, before the tunnel of time, and he basically looked down that tunnel and foreknew those who would agree or choose to follow him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he thereby predestined them. Um, But the problem with that, and and this is what Paul explains in Romans 8, um, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined that they might be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, these are two very deliberate actions. The, and, and, what, and it hinges really on the concept of what is foreknowledge. It means to know his people beforehand. It doesn't mean uh, the concept of um, if they follow certain conditions, then I will know them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It means he knew him. He knew them. Um, in the same way that in the Bible we often talk about, there's, there's a lot of biblical ways that the word to know is used, but it's, it's an intimate um, way of speaking. And so foreknowledge was God's, um, God's certain awareness of those that he desired to save in love. Right. Predestination means that he did, in fact, do that saving of those sinners, that mm-hmm. he chose to save those particular people. When R.C. Sproul talks about this, and
0: he always says that, of course, God has to foreknow those he predestined, mm-hmm. because who else would he predestine? Mm-hmm. The question is not whether there's foreknowledge involved, it's just what does that, what is involved in that foreknowledge. Yeah. Um, obviously, if God's going to choose Eric Zellner, he has to know Eric Zellner. Mm-hmm. The question is, does he know in that foreknowledge, does he know that you're going to be obedient? Is there a condition involved mm-hmm. in which he looks ahead in the future and sees all the things that you've done? Obviously, he has to know the person as an object. Mm-hmm. The question is, is it based on the object, yep. object's actions for yep. his
1: predestination? Well, and I think going along with that concept, it's, it's not just that you lose biblically the concept of uh, predestination and election. If you if you embrace this view of foreknowledge, you're actually losing the concept of, of grace. Um, what you're losing is the very concept that uh, grace is that which is given to sinners who are undeserving of it. So in that sense, there's more at stake with this foreknowledge view. It, it, it puts a heavy, heavy emphasis on the, um, on the individual person to have been faithful to come to the Lord instead of what the Bible teaches which God did the work right absolutely and i think a big passage that comes to mind
0: for me is just you skip over from that Romans 8 mm-hmm. talking about foreknowledge yeah. to Romans 9 yeah and he paul is talking about Jacob and Esau and he says before the twins had done anything good or bad it was Jacob he loved and Esau he hated yeah and so this was in order that God's purpose of election might continue. This is verse 11, Mm -hmm. not because of works, but because of him who calls. And so the question you see here that God obviously had foreknowledge or foreknew Jacob, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't because of Jacob's actions. It was before the twins were even born, before they had done even any good or bad, Mm -hmm.
1: that he chose to love Jacob and he chose to hate Esau. I I always think that particular passage is is helpful because it – um, the expectation, it's its speaking directly to the kinds of objections that people give to this. And Romans 8 and Romans 9 answers this in such a beautiful way with the, the objections people are still asking in 2021. When you study Jacob and Esau, though, what you recognize is uh, <laughs> Jacob ends up being precisely the kind of person you wouldn't save anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, if we don't uh, have Romans 9, you still look back at Jacob and Esau and go, Jacob really doesn't deserve anything. Absolutely. Um, he didn't do anything. In fact, he's in some ways, he's more of a knucklehead than his brother <laughs> is. So, And that's when you
0: see in verse 16, it says, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who yeah. has mercy. Yeah. And so you see, when, when you look at predestination, it really makes you have to sit back and think, okay, why did God choose me over someone else? Yeah. And you go, okay. It can't be because I'm smarter than them. It can't mm-hmm. be because I'm better than them morally. Yeah.
1: It's it's just because of God and His mercy. Yeah. It, it, it's the whole the whole uh, teaching of Scripture is designed to point us to God as the great deliverer of mankind's horrendous condition of sin, absolutely into which we're bound and fallen. So, and I think this this doctrine in particular really
0: shakes people's view of God more than anything else. So I want For to sure. be gentle um, because I know that it really changes so many people's views of God. And I think one of the other main objections which um, kind of really hits on an emotional level mm-hmm. is, does God predestine the sinner to heaven the same way in which He predestines the sinner to hell? Mm-hmm. What would you say to that question, Eric?
1: Yeah. That. Um that doctrine is, is sometimes called double predestination. Or um, John Wesley spoke of it as, and this was one of his chief problems with Calvinism. He he basically said that what Calvinism is is declaring is that there are unconditional reprobates, meaning people who who are born to die. Uh, they're born without hope, and so Wesley's contention was that can't possibly be consistent with a God who is a definitive actor of love, right? Um, goodness gracious, That even that statement that I just uh, repeated goes back to a book that I read when I was 20 years old, hoping to contradict Calvinism in my own thinking. And through this particular book I read, I actually became a, a believer in Calvinism. But Romans 9 answers that objection, uh, and it answers it in a way that um, that people often don't like but it's deeply humbling. And that is in Romans 9, verse 14, uh, Paul speaking to that direct objection. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will, have compa- I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Mm-hmm. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Mm. That's Paul's answer to that. And then and then he goes on. Wait, but but you'll say, well, then why does God still have the capacity to find fault with people like Pharaoh or other sinners? Essentially, how can he judge people if they're just acting the way he chose them to be? Yeah, I mean, he, if he. It, but the presumption is this is this is robotic, right? Right. Um, in fact, if there's a robotic tendency here, it is that we were all born in the condition of death. Mm. And so um, we were, every sinner was stuck in a robotic choice to only choose to defy God. What, uh, what Paul says is your, your attempt then is to see yourself in a place of pride. And you are, you're answering back to God as if the clay can speak to the potter and say, "Why did you make me like this mm-hmm. um, so two I think I want to make two pastoral comments. number one, the Bible does teach double predestination. It teaches that God has elected some sinners for salvation and others uh, will be um, will be unredeemed in the end and in fact, the Lord knew what he was doing and planned it that way. Um, our objection is that surely God can't be that way. But if we capture what we really taught in the first lesson, this concept of total depravity, then it 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 amplifies the mercy and grace of God that he would be willing to move towards any sinner like Eric Zellner or any sinner like Will Lightner. Why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? There is not anything in me that I have ever done that would have uh, commended me to God. Mm-hmm. So in fact what we walk away with is this profound sense of God's grace and kindness to another sinner who didn't deserve it. The better question to ask is not why did he not save all? Why did he save any? Right. The second part of this I think is the is the pastoral um answer to that same question. And it's and so I want to I want to say this we must deal with this as people are genuinely asking the question and their concern is usually Uh, For um, dad or mom or granddad or somebody like that whom they love and know but who never embraced Christ Um, and are in that position. Many times people look at that person and they go, uh, why was the Lord so deliberately unkind to them? Uh, That's actually beginning in the wrong place. Uh, We we need to rather begin in the place um, that nobody... Who uh, ends eternity? Who, who spends eternity in hell? Was ever deeply desirous of being saved in the first place? They were not really deeply desirous of bowing the knee to Christ, and yet God said, "No, no, no, I won't. I won't allow you to come to me." Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the reality of what the Scripture teaches is that everyone who uh, rejects Christ gets the very consequence that their sins earned them I also would have been one of those except that God moved toward me in grace and kindness mm-hmm. um, and so from a pastoral perspective uh, the way I want to I want to answer that is by comforting people um, in this way there will be no sinners in hell um, who really wanted to come to Jesus but just couldn't get there There will be no sinners in hell who really love Jesus but couldn't bend their heart. Um, And likewise, there will be no saved sinners in heaven who really wanted to be opposed um, to God but decided to make a good decision and chose Jesus. Um, in, In heaven, there will only be those who really oppose God, and God moved towards them and took out their heart of stone and gave them a heart of flesh.
0: Right. And I think, and I love all that. I really appreciate you sharing that with Mm -hmm. us. I think one thing that comes to mind is Romans 1, when Paul says he's giving man up to his own passions and pleasures. Man knows that there's a God, but suppresses the truth. And so God gives him up to the desires of his flesh. And so I think the problem that people have with this is that they seem to think people are almost kicking and screaming their way to hell. Um, But what's happening here is God is actively choosing the sinner to go to heaven but he mm-hmm. is in a sense passively letting the sinner by his own desires and pleasures um have precisely what they have what they deserve yeah yeah um we've hit on a lot of really deep things here help you've hinted at a lot of this but kind of help us land the plane here from a mm-hmm. devotional standpoint yeah. how should this help us love god more love christ mm-hmm. more i'd say real quick too one thing that i love about this doctrine is that it really makes you have um, what's commonly called a big God theology. Mm-hmm. Nothing shapes your view of God more than no. in many ways like this doctrine, mm-hmm. and it takes your view of God to the biggest level, a God who's so holy mm. that He con- not only controls everything, but He commands all things in
1: according to His will. Yeah, and I think that's that's precisely it. There's you know, when we talk about the way this is meant to move our hearts, the number one thing it does, first and foremost, is it subdues our pride. Um, when I, when the Lord opened my eyes to this particular doctrine, I literally went home to my house, a um, bunch of guys, and I w- one of my roommates walked in on me, and I was like weeping. Um, and, and And my weeping was because... I suddenly could see how arrogant I had been that I had been the guy who chose God. Uh, and I suddenly came to go, Oh my goodness, the Lord was the one who saved me. Not because I made a good choice. Um, in fact that, so, so the implications of towards my pride are staggering. Like suddenly I have a, not only a tremendous dependence upon God for salvation through Christ, but more than that, I have a tremendous reverence for God through Christ. Um, because it wasn't that i loved him but it really was that he loved me that's utterly um transforming and it really that's what that's uh, this is why reformed worship kind of flows out of this uh it suddenly your big god theology comment makes uh god the audience of our worship because he's the one to be worshipped and glorified for this profound act of mercy and grace and love given to me. Um, I didn't deserve it. And then my pride is broken. I'm, I'm eternally grateful, and I'm moved to worship Him.
0: That's fantastic. I love, I love all of those things. And I'd say, lastly, too, just real quick, because this is a, a, another rabbit trail, it also gives a real desire and motivation for evangelism. No, it sure does. Uh, yeah. Most people think that if God chooses people, then that actually you know prevents us from wanting to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. But all it does is actually give me motivation to know that my evangelism will have guaranteed results.
1: No, that's exactly right. Yep. Uh, they, they never produce complacency. and And the reason they don't produce complacency is because God's the one who's doing the work. So I can throw the seed and trust the Lord to do exactly what he did in uh, Acts chapter 13, that those who were appointed to eternal life really will embrace Christ. Right, uh, And it's a, so that's a motivator in, in many ways. Thanks for mentioning that.
0: Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. We appreciate you guys sitting here and listening through um, us talking about unconditional election. And we'll see you guys at the next podcast when we talk about limited atonement. Thank you.